Good morning. There we go. Good to see you guys this morning. But uh, before I get started with our sermon, I want to go ahead and invite uh, Barbara, if she's ready now, to come up and share uh, an announcement. Is this correct? Do I have this right? She says, sure. Yeah, Barbara, come on up and share an announcement. Uh, exciting opportunity for the ladies of our church. And Barbara is going to tell us uh, what's coming up and how you can be involved in that. Okay. This is an announcement for the women of Skillman. Ladies, are you tired of driving? Tired of shopping at the same old places in Dallas? Do you want to have some fun? Well, what else is there to do but go to Mineral Wells, Texas? Hop on the Skillman Women's Party Bus Saturday, April 27th, and let's go to Mineral Wells and paint that town red. The party bus leaves at 8.30 from the Skillman parking lot and returns at 3.30. You can only party for so long. Singing, snacking, games, laughing all the way down and back. Once we're in the big metropolis of Mineral Wells, we'll roam around, shop, talk, laugh, party, laugh, and talk. So, if you'd like to laugh and like to have fun, or you just need a break, join the party bus. We're headed out for a good time. So, call the church office if you're interested. We have a few, a few more seats left on that bus. Thank you. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, Barbara, I'm guessing that I can't tag along. Uh, I'm not a lady. I'm not a woman of this, ch of this church. So uh, I hope that you guys will take advantage of that. Sounds like a lot of fun. Sounds like a great opportunity for community. So join us on the 27th uh, for that trip to Mineral Wells. Uh, as I get started, we are concluding our series this week on Lent because next week is Easter. Uh, and I can uh, see some Easter bunny ears uh, one week early, but hey, it's great. I love, I love the mentality. I love it. It's wonderful. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, the story where Mary uh, comes and uh, anoints Jesus' feet with perfume. And I have to let you know that I received a fantastic picture that same day uh, of, uh, uh, of a modern-day parallel. So I want to show you this. Uh, these are different types of headaches, and uh, Mary might have been like the fourth type, the church lady perfume, which is all-encompassing. It totally gives everything a headache. So uh, last week, we got a chance to share that story uh, a few days before the Passover meal, where Mary comes and anoints Jesus' feet. This week, we're going to continue uh, this journey towards the cross, because this week is Good Friday, and Good Friday is the day when Jesus will sacrifice his life for ours, where he will give himself completely so that we can have life and have life with God. And next week, next Sunday, I'm so excited we get the, uh, the chance to announce the resurrection, that what happened then can still happen today, that what happened for Jesus, Jesus is going to make available for all of us, that we can live resurrected lives in this place and in this time right now together. So I'm so excited for Easter next week when we get to announce that finally and fully. But this week, I want to continue uh, talking about the, this journey that Jesus is on towards Jerusalem, the journey towards the cross where Jesus is heading uh, to this uh, major life-changing, history-changing event. Uh, and so I hope that during the course of this series that you've benefited from the conversations that I've been having, the interviews that I've been having. You'll notice today there's no table set up, and uh, that means uh, that you're stuck with me uh, for the majority of the sermon time today. But uh, uh, I hope that these conversations have been beneficial. I hope that when we talked with people like Russell Johnson, and he shared what it's like to give up something even as small as sweets, as desserts, that that is still such an impactful decision because uh, giving that up allows you the opportunity to then take something else on. And so something uh, as easy as giving up chocolates, sweets, uh, allows you the opportunity to reflect and spend that time 
focusing on God. And then the next week, we talked with Travis Upshaw. Travis is one of our region participants, a fantastic story, a fantastic testimony that he uh, repented of the way of life that he had been living and changed and began to live this life with Christ. And uh, let me tell you, Travis is one of the most exciting people to talk to. Uh, When you talk to him, you can tell that he cares about this new kind of life, this resurrected life that Jesus has offered to him. He cares deeply and immensely about it, and he isn't afraid to share that with others. Well, the, the week after that, we talked with Bimpe McMillan, and uh, definitely keep the McMillans uh, in your prayers right now. Bimpe is on her way to Washington, D.C. Is that correct, Kavion? This Thursday, she's going to Washington, D.C. Her mom passed away unexpectedly last week, so keep the McMillans in your prayers. But Bimpe shared such a powerful testimony of what it's like to spend every moment conscious, uh, trying to spend every moment in prayer to God, that even the clothes that you put on in the morning, that she wanted to challenge us to, to pray that the clothes that we put on every day would be honoring to God. That in some way, by what we wear, by the things, by every choice that we make, that we would choose to honor God. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, we had the chance to spend some time visiting with Nora Gravois. And Nora did a fantastic job of uh, helping us to understand what it's like to take care of someone else. What it's like to give your life away, to sacrifice your desires and wants in order to help someone else. uh, To give someone else a chance uh, to, to live fully. And she said uh, during that interview that even though she had all this training, she has uh, uh, degrees, uh, she has certificates, she has all this training in the, in the field of social work, uh, she has PhDs, I mean, you name it, she's got it. Even though she has all that, she didn't really receive her PhD until she began taking care of her mom. And when she began doing that, she really learned what it was like to give up yourself for somebody else. Well, last week, we had a chance to visit with Royce Prude, one of our elders, and Royce shared with us a little bit of his story and how he has learned uh, in the moments of waiting, constantly waiting, waiting at doctor's offices, waiting for a ride uh, of what it's like to spend that time relying on God. And I loved what Royce said. He, uh, in all his life, has never felt closer to God than he does right now, even though he has lost most of the use of his legs, uh, even though he's going through a tremendous health uh, difficulty right now, he's never felt closer to God. Uh, It was a beautiful story, beautiful testimony. So thank you to everybody who's been participating in those conversations. I really do hope that they've been beneficial, that they've been important, that they've been challenging to you and helpful in, in helping you to see how you can live right now today, the story that Jesus has offered to us. So today we continue on, and this week especially, today is Palm Sunday. And so today we focus on this final week of Jesus' life as he enters into Jerusalem triumphantly, uh, and the people are waving the palm branches and shouting Hosanna. Jesus enters into Jerusalem, but he knows that at the end of that week, he's going to, to give his life. He's going to give himself for us. And during the course of that week, a number of things happened. And so uh, today you'll notice that in your bulletin, uh, there's a little section for sermon notes in there that we've been including recently. And I went ahead and I put some passages down because I wanted you to have the opportunity this week to focus in and read some of those passages. These are all four Gospels contain the story of Holy Week, uh, this final week of Jesus' life before his crucifixion. And all four Gospels spend time telling us, sharing with us, uh, enlightening us to what takes place during this. And so uh, you'll notice that in Matthew's gospel, he's got a few chapters devoted to this, chapters 21 through 27. Uh, In Matthew's gospel, that's about a fourth of his gospel. Uh, 25% of his gospel he spends on this one week of Jesus' life. Uh, Mark's gospel, chapter 11 through chapter 15, and he spends about a third of his gospel. Mark's gospel is the shortest of all the gospels, and he spends 33% of it on one week of Jesus' life. Uh, 
a third of his entire book on this one week. Luke, uh, starting in chapter 19, verse 29, all the way through the end of chapter 23, uh, about 20% of his book uh, he spends on this one week of Jesus' life. And then John, chapter 12 through chapter 19, uh, about 40% of John's gospel on this one week of Jesus' life. All four gospel writers seem to think that this week of Jesus' life is incredibly important. So my challenge to you this week is going to be to read all four gospel accounts, to really focus in, to really pay attention to what these gospel writers are trying to communicate, the stories that they're writing about Jesus, the the teaching that Jesus gives, the opportunities that we have to understand what's going on in this final week of Jesus' life. So uh, you might spend one day, uh, each day of this week, reading those starting on Monday with Matthew's gospel, Tuesday, Mark, Wednesday, Luke, Thursday with John, and then we'll be to Good Friday at that point. Uh, But I would encourage you to do that. I would challenge you to do that this week. But uh, as we get started with uh, entering into our text for today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. Uh, We're going to focus in on one particular story in Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew chapter 26. Uh, And if you've got uh, a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, in the pews in front of you is a Bible, and you can turn to page 1,544 and find our story for today. But before we read that, before we spend time uh, sharing this story together, I want to walk you through a couple of the events that take place leading up to this story in Matthew's gospel. Because Jesus, I mentioned, enters into Jerusalem triumphantly. Uh, He comes into the city uh, on Palm Sunday, and he enters the city, and the people are ready to announce him as their new king, as the true king of Israel. He comes into the city, and the people are waving palm branches. Uh, They've lined the streets. They're welcoming him back as if he were the true king, as if he was returning from battle victorious, coming back to his home city, and now the people are rejoicing uh, that, that that their king has returned. And so Jesus enters into the city. Of course, uh, Jesus has not been at war prior to this. He's not been conquering different peoples. He's not been defeating the Romans. Instead, he enters into this city after a a three-year period of time of ministry, of sharing, of teaching, and of healing. And, And Jesus enters the city, and the people are ready to announce him as their king. It's a very political statement. It's a very dangerous statement to make that the people declare Jesus their true king. And immediately after he enters into the city, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus goes straight to the temple. Jesus goes to the temple because Jesus wants to connect what they've done, announcing him as their king, with what takes place with their worship. And so the the temple is the place where, where the Jewish people would come to worship, to sacrifice. And Jesus immediately wants them to understand that what he's doing, uh, while it might be political and it might be religious, it might, it's really something even deeper than both of those things on their own. So Jesus goes to the temple, and the first thing he notices in the temple is that the people uh, are coming to the temple, and there are people set up there selling animals for sacrifice. And they're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. They're not doing this to ensure that the people who come to the temple have an offering to, to give. They're doing it because they are hoping to make some money from this. And so Jesus enters into the temple, and the famous story where Jesus turns over the, the tables, uh, and he, he sends these money changers out of the temple. Uh, he even forms a little whip and kind of uh, scares them a little bit. And he, he brandishes this whip, and he gets them out of the temple. And immediately after he clears the temple, he begins to heal the people who have come there, the people there who, who need attention, the people there who need physical health, help. Jesus begins to heal them. It's as if he's trying to tell the people, I'm not here just to make some money. I'm not here to support your endeavors to make money, but instead I'm here to heal those who are most desperately in need of being healed. 
So Jesus comes in. He's been announced as the king. He goes to the temple, and immediately he begins to overturn the religious practices that are built upon making money, and he begins to heal the people there. Jesus is doing something even better than simply setting up a system of, of organized religion. He's trying to heal the world around him. From there, Jesus will leave the temple, and he'll begin to have these interactions with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the chief priests. Of course, they're nervous because Jesus has just upended one of their major religious institutions. He's gone into the temple, and he's begun to change things there. And so they begin to, to ask him questions, to, to seek out his teaching. And of course, they're doing this with an ulterior motive. They want to catch Jesus in a trap. They want to catch Jesus so that they can get rid of him, so that they can say Jesus doesn't have the right authority to be able to do the things that he's doing. And so they begin to ask him questions, and over and over again, Jesus is able to turn the tables on them and begin to ask questions of them. What is their true motivation for being there? What is their true motivation for doing what they're doing? And all of a sudden, the week is halfway over. This holy week from Palm Sunday through Good Friday is, is halfway over, and Jesus gathers his disciples together because he spent all this time publicly declaring, teaching, uh, countering the questions of the Pharisees. And so this half, halfway through the week, he gathers his disciples together, and he brings them together for this meal, the meal that we're going to celebrate here in just a few minutes, this final meal before his death. And he gathers the disciples together, and he brings them together, and he shares the bread, and he shares the cup. And he tells them that he is going to give his life, that he is going to sacrifice for them, that his body and his blood will be life for them, not death. That when he gives himself, he is giving it for them. And from there, we can turn to Matthew chapter 26, and we'll start reading in verse 36, because Jesus has left this final meal with his disciples, and Jesus is ready to now go to the cross. And so the night before he is going to be arrested, the night before he is going to be tried publicly, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's preparing for this moment, for that moment on the cross. And he comes to the garden, and he invites his disciples to come and spend some time in prayer with him. So let's read this story from Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. It says, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, stay here while I go and pray over there. When he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, he began to feel sad and anxious. And so he said to them, I'm, I'm very sad. It's as if I'm dying. Stay here and keep alert with me. And he went a short distance farther and he fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering away from me. However, not what I want, but what you want. He came back to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And so he said to Peter, couldn't you stay alert one hour with me? Stay alert and pray so that you won't give in to temptation. For the spirit is eager, but the flesh is weak. A second time he went away and he prayed, my father, if it's not possible that this cup be taken away unless I drink it, then let it be what you want. Again, he came and found them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy with sleep. But he left them and again went and prayed the same words for the third time. And he came to his disciples and said to them, Will you sleep and rest all night? Look, the time has come for the human one to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now get up and let's go. Look, here comes my betrayer. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he spends hours in prayer. He spends the final night before he's going to be arrested in prayer, and he invites his disciples to come and share that time with him. 
Jesus could have been doing any number of things. He could have continued healing. He could have continued teaching. And yet he goes this final night before it's to take place, and he begins to pray. He begins to prepare for what's ahead. He even asks God, he says, God, if, if there's any way for this cup to be taken from me, but not what I want, what you want, God. What an amazing prayer. Jesus has taught this prayer to his disciples before. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches his disciples to pray that God's will will be done on earth and as it is in heaven. And now Jesus himself is praying that very prayer. He's asking his disciples to come along beside him and and prayerfully prepare for what's to take place in the next couple of hours. Now, out of this passage, there's any number of things that we could spend our time on this morning. We could talk about all the symbolism that's present in this passage. We could talk about the fact that Jesus goes away to pray three separate times. Perhaps uh, Jesus is praying these three times to prepare to say that uh, he won't do what Peter is about to do in denying him three times. That Peter will deny him three times, but Jesus faithfully prays three times, not what I want, but what you want. We could talk about the symbolism of all this taking place in a garden. It's as if Jesus is calling back to one of the very first stories in the Bible in the Garden of Eden and the evil that took place there, the sin, the turning away from God. But in this garden, Jesus is going to undo what took place in that garden. That rather than turning away from God, he is turning directly to God. We could talk about the use of the cup. That Jesus talks about this cup of suffering, uh, just as he had used the cup as as an instrument to teach the disciples and what we will participate here in a few minutes in communion with, that this cup shows up over and over again. Earlier on in the gospel, James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, had come to Jesus asking to be seated on his right and on his left, but Jesus said, you can't share the cup that I'm going to drink, can you? And now he shared that cup with the disciples at the last meal, and now he prays for this cup of suffering to be taken away. We could even talk about Jesus' humanity. The text describes him as sad and anxious, even to the point of death, that Jesus is truly feeling the weight of what's about to take place. But I don't want to focus on any of those things this morning, as good as they are. This morning, what I want us to focus on is the prayer that Jesus prays. Not what I want, but what you want, O God. Jesus has taught his disciples to pray this prayer, and now he is living it out himself. It's an amazing testimony of the sovereignty of God, that that God truly has power over this creation, that God truly is in control of everything that's taking place, that, yes, Jesus is on his way to the cross, and Jesus prays, God, if there's any other way, let's do it that way, but ultimately not what I want, not that I would be sovereign in this moment, but God, that you would be sovereign, that you would be the true God. And Jesus prays, not what I want, but what you want, O God. It's a prayer, perhaps, that we can mirror in our world today, that what God wants is more important than what we want, that what God wants in our world and in our lives is truly good for the world and not just for ourselves. And Jesus prays this prayer. But notice, too, that he invites his followers to come and pray it with him. He asks Peter, James, and John, all three of whom are people who have declared that they will give their lives to be with Jesus, to follow Jesus, to do the things that Jesus did. James and John were the one who wanted to be seated at his right and left-hand side. They wanted to be there when he came into his glory. Peter, 
The one who, who says, Jesus, you're not going to die. And Jesus has to tell him, get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus is following God's will. And so Peter says, if that's what it's going to take, I will give my life for this. Of course, Peter thinks that he's offering to, to share in glorious battle with Jesus, to, to, to defeat the Romans and to bring the Jewish people back to their kingdom. But Peter offers to give his life just as Peter is going to do. So Jesus invites these three disciples to come and spend this time in prayerful preparation with him. That during this time, they will have an opportunity to join Jesus in this important work. He could be doing any number of things, but Jesus chooses to spend these final hours before his arrest in prayer. He wanted his disciples to come and pray with him, and I think he still does. This week, we are leading up to Easter. We're leading up to the announcement of that resurrection. We're not quite there yet. And Jesus has invited his followers, his disciples, to come on this journey with him, to prayerfully prepare for what's ahead. That the cross is still before Jesus, but beyond the cross is resurrection. Beyond the cross is new life. That when Jesus gives his body and his blood, that he's offering a new way of life, a new way of being in the world. And so Jesus invites his disciples then, and he invites us today, now, to participate in this prayer with him. And so this morning, rather than sharing time in an interview together, I'd like for us to spend a few minutes in communal prayer. And I've got some folks who are going to help lead us through this experience, who are going to help lead us through this prayer, but I'm going to ask each person here today that rather than focusing in on someone else in an interview, that rather than listening to the words of someone else, that silently in your seats here in a moment, that you would pray that same prayer that Jesus prayed. Not what I want, but what you want, O God. Not what I want, but what you want, O God. Jesus has invited us to participate in this prayer together. So here in a moment, we've got a couple people who are going to help lead us through this prayer. Uh, Linda Cornett is going to begin our prayer, and Ron Bordelon is going to close our prayer. During the course of that time, there's going to be some moments of silence where you'll have an opportunity to pray silently where you're seated. That God, that his will for your life would, would really take hold. That not your will, but his be done. After a few moments of silence, our praise team is going to lead us in a couple of statements. They're going to help share uh, different areas of our lives. They're going to help guide our thoughts. And as they say their statement, I would ask that we as a church would respond in saying, not what I want, but what you want, O oh God. So we'll have an opening prayer, a few moments of silence. Our praise team will lead us through those statements. We'll respond back, not what I want, but what you want, O oh God. And then Ron will close us in prayer. Church, would we take this opportunity to join Jesus in this prayer? He is praying, preparing for the cross that's ahead. He's praying He's asking his disciples, his followers, to pray this prayer with him. And so this morning, would you join us in saying this prayer? In my innermost desires. Not what I want, but what you want, O oh God. In our jobs, careers, or daily work. Not what I want, but what you want, O oh God with our children, siblings, spouses, or extended family. Not what I want, but what you want, O oh God. As we seek to serve other people. Not what I want, but what you want, 
O God. In this city and in this country. Not what I want, but what you want, O God. In the wider world around us. Not what I want, but what you want, O God. In our church and in our walk with God. Not what I want, but what you want, O God. Father, give us the strength not to acquire or add to what makes sense to us, but to let go so that there is no space left in our hearts and minds but what it is that you're calling forth of us and from us in that moment and have us trust that that is complete in you and through you. Amen. Amen. Church, may we pray this week as Jesus did, not what I want, but what you want, O God. This morning, if you would like the prayers of godly men and women, our elders are going to gather around the sides of the room during this next song, and they would love to spend time in prayer with you over anything that's happening in your life. They may even come and seek you out and ask to pray with you. Uh, And while they're doing that, while we sing together, I'll be down front. And if you would like to join in this resurrected life, if you would like to, to put on Christ in baptism, I would love to visit with you about that. So would you please come while we stand and worship together?